Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company again this afternoon on Judaism 101.9. As they said with Rabbi Michael Katz, it's my honor to be with you and to be able to share some Judaism 101.9 facts and stories and things that you and I need to know coming into the upcoming week. Right, well, it's a strange place, I guess, to start a week on a Wednesday, but um, if you're a Judaism 101.9 fan, that is when the week actually begins, because we look at what lies in the week ahead, and there is a tremendous amount that lies in the week ahead, particularly over the coming Shabbat. And uh, perhaps we're going to divide the show into two separate parts, um, dealing with the two major features of this coming Shabbat. I know that many of my colleagues, many other of the Rabbonim on the radio shows uh, during the week do address the Parsha of the week. So we're not going to talk about the significant Parsha that we have on this coming Shabbat. We're not going to talk about the other regular features of the coming weekend. But on this coming Shabbos, we have a number of significant events, significant things that combine to make this a, let's call it a one in a million kind of a Shabbos, something really, really exceptional. And now I know it's the beginning of the school holidays and I know that many people are um, kind of in the mode where they just can't wait to get away from it all. Um, the entire year has been a little bit of a disaster for many people in many, many ways. Of course, there has been so much that we've learned. Of course, there's been so much that we've gained, but there's a tremendous amount that we seem to have lost along the way, and people are just chomping at the bit to get to the beach, to get away, to kind of uh, isolate um, in a beautiful setting, to be able to look at the sea, perhaps, and uh, feel a lot better about life in general. But <clears throat> there are so many wonderful things that are inspiring and that are uplifting and that um, are life-changing that are coming up in the next while, not the least of which is Hanukkah, which we'll spend next show. Next week we'll talk a little bit about Hanukkah because it is just before Hanukkah um, next week, Wednesday. Of course, Thursday night is Hanukkah next week. But let's get back to this week and think about the things that are happening, the events that are culminating, the um, happenings that are uh, coming together on this coming Shabbat. The first one that I would like to talk about is the fact that we actually change something significant in our daily prayers. Now, being that Shabbat prayers are different to the daily prayers, there is a strange shift this year. And that is that um, the prayer alteration that I'm talking about, instead of happening on Friday night, is actually going to happen on Saturday night. But that's just because Shabbat intervenes and Shabbat is pushing off this significant change. So I'd like you to take a look if you have a siddur handy or a siddur in front of you, no matter which siddur you use, you will see something strange in our daily prayers that um, is the one and only time that we look at or that we think about in our prayers the mention of what we would call a Gregorian date, a secular calendar date. Now, we all know that the Jewish calendar runs according to Jewish dates. We celebrate Pesach. 
in the middle of the month of Nisan. We celebrate Tishrei, we, uh, marks the uh, beginning of Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei. The tenth of Tishrei is uh, Yom Kippur. When it comes to Hanukkah, we're talking about the 25th of Kislev. We um, would keep to those dates no matter what the secular date is. It doesn't matter to us if Hanukkah occurs in the beginning of December or late December, um, as it does this year, starting, I think, on the 10th of December. It doesn't matter what the secular date is, what the Gregorian date is, what the regular date is, as people would like to call it. It only matters what the Jewish date is. And the Jewish date is what is significant. That is the way that our Chagim, that our festivals, that our significant dates are observed. And in fact, even when it comes to um, several uh, things like um, uh, Pesach, um, we adjust certain things so that Pesach can fall in a certain season, but it is still married to a Jewish date. It is still in the middle of Nisan, no matter whether there was one or two Adars in order to push Pesach back into the spring. And yet, in um, uh, on this weekend... We have the mention of a Gregorian date. Take a look in your Siddur. It's at the blessing where we're saying Barech Aleinu. So part of the Amida, part of the Shemona Esrei, blessing about giving us blessings, the blessing of blessings, is the bracha for the harvest and the bracha for uh, produce and so on. And in the middle of that blessing, there is a significant change that is made according to certain seasons. So you'll see there that it says, it will word something like this, it will say that on the night preceding the 5th or the 6th of December, we change from saying V'tein Bracha to V'tein Tal Umatar. There is a little piece that will be in parentheses somewhere in brackets, possibly written in small it will say, the ten bracha. The ten bracha means, and God should give us blessings. And then we change it on the 4th or the 5th of December until Pesach. And we say, the ten tal umatar. God, who is the giver of tal, which is dew, and matar, which is rain. God is the giver of dew and rain. And we're thereby invoking God to send us rain. And it says significantly that this happens from the 5th or the 6th of December. Now, some of the Sidurim will say the night following the 4th or the night following the 5th. I'm not sure why they actually word it that way, probably because we're so used to using a calendar that begins um, uh, evening and then morning and then day, and the day only the day ends at, my, at, at, at sunset. Therefore, we're talking about that day rather than the day before. So whatever, it will say the 4th or the 5th, the 5th or the 6th of December. Why is it that these dates appear in every Siddur? Why is it that the Siddur or that the blessing for rain is married to or is coupled with a Gregorian date? and not with a Jewish date. We'll be back to talk about uh, that in a moment. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Okay, so why is it um, here on Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz that we begin a special change in our prayers from this coming weekend? Well, 
It's a very, very long story. I'll try and make it as succinct and as simple as possible, but it's really not that simple. Um, there are a lot of very, very fascinating calculations, and I would like you, if you're interested in it, to actually look up various different articles on how exactly the calculation of the 4th and the 5th of December actually came into being, because it is quite complicated. And um, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but let's just say this. We all know that when it comes to the um, festival of Sukkot, that the world is judged for water. The judgment of water takes place on Sukkot. We all know also that there is a postponement from uh, the beginning of Sukkot till the day after Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret, of the prayers for rain. We pray for rain on Shmini Atzeret. And the reason is that we don't want the rain to come and spoil Sukkot and take us out of our Sukkah. We've got the obligation to sit in the Sukkah and rain will make that particularly difficult for us. So we delay the prayers for rain until Shmini Atzeret. Now these prayers are even delayed further actually because there are two sets of different prayers in our daily davening, in our daily prayers. There are the prayers or the prayer for rain. In fact, rain is mentioned twice, actually, in the daily prayers. The one time is when we say, Mashiv Haruach Umurid HaGeshem, or Murid HaGashem. And at that stage, we are praising God for being the one who makes rain. It's a simple prayer saying, God, you are the all-powerful. You're the one who makes rain. Without rain, we couldn't live. Without water, we cannot survive. Even if they send probes to check out if there is life on other planets, the first thing that they're looking for is, was there or is there water? Because human condition is that water uh, and life are actually um, uh, equated with each other. You cannot have life without water. I'm sure that God could invent a creature that could live on another planet that could survive without water. But be that as it may, this is man's way of understanding life. Life is dependent on water. Without water, things could not survive. And man certainly cannot survive. We need water. We need rain. God sends us the rain. The rain fills the dams. The dams fill our taps. And that is the way that we are able in a modern world to sustain ourselves. But on the farmlands, they need the rains to fall on their produce so that the produce can grow. It is the very means to the survival of the entire world, never mind human life alone. So we understand the importance of it. We praise God for it. And that actually begins from Shmini Atzeret, from the date of the day after the end of the festival of Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day of solemn assembly, as it is called in the classics. That is the day on which we start praying for rain. However, there is a second part to the prayers for rain, and that is where we actually implore God to send rain. Now, we would regard it, and Jewish law regards it, as being a little untoward to beg God to send rain, never mind that you're sitting in a sukkah. But what about all the people who came for the pilgrim festival? What about all the people who were in Yerushalayim, who were in Jerusalem, and gathered there to celebrate the Chag? They are now busy walking or camel riding home to their far-flung homes, and uh, Jewish law tells us that people would travel up to two weeks after the Chag, to get home, because they would spend two weeks traveling to get there. Now, this would be to places far flung, far out, far out places, 
uh, where people may be traveling from on camelback or walking with uh, you know kind of the stick over over their shoulder and uh, all their belongings dangling on the end that kind of procedure um was the way that people traveled in those days for the Chagim, for the pilgrim festivals. And, of course, they were called pilgrim festivals because people used to make the pilgrimage. They used to go to Yerushalayim. They would go to Jerusalem to be in the temple environment for the duration of the Chag. So the deferment of asking God to send rain was something that was regarded as such a kindness, a chesed, to all mankind and especially to Jews traveling home. We don't want God to be sending rain. We so are so uh, understanding and believing in the fact that when we ask God and we implore God to please send rain, that that will be the very way that God will send rain. He asks us, he asked Adam in the Garden of Eden to pray for rain. Adam did, and that was what kick-started the production of everything in this world. God has given man that gift to pray for rain. God will send rain, and the rain will sustain the world. And in that way, man becomes a partner with God in the creation of all things. So, we cannot and we will not ask God to send this rain until everybody is at home. And why? Because never mind that we need the rain, never mind that we need that sustenance. We can't put people in peril. We can't jeopardize people's lives and we can't put them into a situation where they might be caught in a deluge or they might be caught um, in a uh, in a downpour and they get sick, God forbid, or washed away even worse. And therefore, prayers for rain were delayed. Until the 7th of Cheshvan, two weeks after the Chag, two weeks later. So 15 days to be exact afterwards, uh, that was when prayers for rain were actually instituted into our uh, into our bracha prayer that we've been referring to. Now that is the way that in fact is kept until today in Israel. Why? Because it was in Israel that these prayers were being said for water in Israel. However, our sages um, suggested and uh, actually ruled that when it came to praying for rain in Babylon, since Babylon is actually on a lower level than Israel, not only from a spiritual point of view, but actually on a physical point of view, it is a low-lying land. The rains weren't needed until sometime later. And it was regarded as having to be at least two months after uh, Tishrei, two months after the festival uh, period of the month of Tishrei, what they call Tkufat Tishrei, um, two months later, 60 days after um, Tishrei was the time that outside of Israel, in Babylon, when the Jews were sent into Babylon, that they actually started imploring God for rain. Now, if we take a look at that two-month period, in fact, it would come out sometime in late November and not actually in December at all. Now, why is it married to this particular time? Well, because, number one, it was a prayer that had to do with the seasons. Now, we all know that the seasons are actually tied up with the sun rather than with the moon. And the Jewish calendar is dominated by both of those luminaries. Although our calendar dates run according to the moon, our seasons also play a big role, even if we think about, we mentioned it before, Pesach. Pesach, we're told, has to be in the spring. And therefore, it is adjusted to fit into the spring in Israel 
Um, and that's why we sometimes have a Jewish leap year with an extra month to push Nisan, the month of Pesach, back into uh, the right season. Now here too, since rain outside of Israel is dependent on the seasons, so it was determined that sometime in late November, 60 days after uh, the um, uh, the Tishrei uh, period, there had to be an institution of these prayers for rain. It wasn't in Israel. Rain was needed later in those areas, and therefore it became attached to something that was Babylonian rather than something that was um, Israelitish, that was part of Israel. This was Babylonian. Now, our sages have agreed that not everybody lives in Babylon, and certainly not today. But there is something about the unity of the Jewish people that um, since this decree or since this idea came from Babylon, that it was taken on as a diaspora um, event, a diaspora observance, that in fact we only begin to ask God, to beg God, to implore God for rain um, once it reaches this period of time, 60 days after the Tkufat Tishrei. Now, let's complicate things a little bit more. You know, when the Gregorian calendar was actually invented, it was actually put together. Um, in fact, it was probably in the 1580s, somewhere around there, that it was actually put together by a pope, Pope Gregory the Thirteenth, who actually worked out and knew that the calendar as it was structured, the secular calendar, the Julian calendar, as it was known, the non-Jewish calendar, the, re, the, the, the calendar that talks about January, February, March, April, May, June, July, which has 365 days and goes purely according to the sun and doesn't take the moon into account at all, that that calendar, in fact, was um, a little bit off. It was, let's call it losing time. And it wasn't absolutely perfect. And it was part of his calendar that introduced the concept of an extra day every so often. And uh, that was known as February 29th, the leap year. And then um, every uh, few hundred years, an extra leap year ended in etc. There is a whole system to what he calculated. But one of the things that he did right up front, interestingly enough, was he actually did away with a whole lot of days. In fact, he took away 10 days in October. Now, isn't this amazing? He took away 10 days in October. So he made October the 5th of the year 1582. He made it October the 15th. 10 days were just dropped out. And therefore, our sages saw fit to readjust the time that we start saying the Tain Talumatar to actually be, be, be at the beginning of December. But but in fact, it came out on the 2nd of December. But then there was also the idea that over the period of time from uh, 1582 until present day, certain amount of time in the Gregorian or the Julian or the secular calendar has been lost in juxtaposition to the seasons. And therefore, we have arrived at this time, the 4th or the 5th or rather the night after. So in other words, the 5th or the 6th of December 
is actually the time. And the, by the way, the sixth is only if it's going to be a leap year. Now, a leap year means in the Gregorian calendar that there is going to be a February 29th in the coming year. Well, in fact, there isn't. So this should actually be Friday night, as we said, but it's delayed until Saturday night because that's the only time when we say this particular prayer. And the prayer is added in into our prayers on this coming Saturday night, on the 5th of December. We add in, we change from saying the Ten Bracha to the Ten Talamatar. And it's all got to do with this strange and interesting calculation, making sure that rain should fall everywhere. And particularly, we are thinking about our brothers and sisters and families in Israel. And even more so, as the Rebbe pointed out, even in the Southern Hemisphere, where it doesn't always add up, yes, our rainy season here in Johannesburg is probably the same as most, it's the same period of time as uh, most uh, European countries. But because the majority of the Jewish community around the world lives actually in the northern hemisphere um, that um, we have unified, we've synchronized that even though perhaps let's say in Cape Town where uh, rains fall in the winter and it's out of sync with every everywhere else in the world, um, still this prayer is, is, is said because we're thinking about Jewish people as a whole, our brethren around the world, and particularly Israel. And so this prayer, this supplication, this begging God for rain is pegged to the 5th and the 6th of December. The 5th of December is um, when it's a regular year, the 6th of December going into a Gregorian or a Julian or a secular leap year. And um, that is the way that it has been and that it will be, interestingly enough, until the year 2100, 2100, isn't it interesting that that's when we're going to actually change it again, and it's going to move one day later. So the Sidurim by then will have to be reprinted. So if you're around in the year 2100, um, um, in 80 years' time, there is going to be a change. So little kids listening out there, um, please remember there's going to be a change in the year 2100, where this Siddur will no longer be valid, saying here the 4th or the 5th or the 5th and the 6th, but it will rather change one day later. Now, fascinating as that all sounds, what does it actually mean for us? It means that we change our prayers. It means that we change our supplication. It means that we are adjusting ourselves to think about people all over the world and to think about the sustainer of all life and all things good, the wonderful thing called rain, water, that we need so desperately. Let's make sure that we do this and that we do it well and that we do it properly for the duration of the period of time from um, from uh, this coming Motsai Shabbos, from this coming Saturday night in Aramida, going all the way through until Pesach, we say, Betain Tal Umatar. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So this coming Shabbat is also known as Yud Tet Kislev or Yud Tes Kislev. Yud Tet Kislev is the 19th day of Kislev. Now, isn't it interesting? In 101.9, there is the number 19. There is a 10 and a 19, 101.9 of Chai FM. And by divine providence, this day, the 19th day in the month of Kislev, is known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidism. Why? Because it was in this date, on this date, in 1798, 
that the founder of Chabad Hasidism, who is known as Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi, or also called the Alter Rebbe, he was in free, he was freed from his imprisonment in a tsarist prison in Russia. Um, but more than just a personal uh, freeing, a personal liberation, um, this event was regarded by Hasidim as heralding a new era in the revelation of the inner soul of Torah. What had happened? The founder of the Hasidic movement, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, known as the Baal Shem Tov, um, had revealed to his disciples the mystical teachings of Torah, and um, it had been um, until then only the uh, for the select Kabbalists of each generation, um, but his uh, starting to open it up and to reveal uh, to his students was then followed by Rabbi Dov Ber, who was known as the Maggid of Mezrich, who actually passed away on uh, the 19th of Kislev as well in 1772. And uh, before his passing, he actually said to his disciple, uh, Rabbi Shneer Zalman, who was Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rabbi, said, this day is our Yom Tif, this day is our festival. Now, Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi went much further than his predecessors, much further than, than the Magid and much further than the Baal Shem Tov, uh, bringing the teachings of Hasidism, of mysticism, uh, Kabbalah and so on, to much broader segments of the Jewish population of Eastern Europe. He founded the Chabad approach. Now, we all know that the Chabad approach um, of um, Judaism around the world has become synonymous with kindness and with um, uh, providing Chabad houses and place for, places for people to uh, to stay and to grow and to uh, uh, further their Yiddishkeit and so on. But the Chabad approach was actually a deep philosophy um, and a system of study, of meditation, of character refinement, um, and all of this to make the very, very abstract, comprehensible, and uh, completely applicable to daily life. Um, and, of course, it was the Alter Rebbe who authored the book called Tanya, um, which is also celebrated on this day. The Hasidic movement um, had often uh, been uh, the target of a lot of opposition, um, but um, the, the Alter Rebbe um, in the uh, fall of 1798, in other words, the autumn of 1798, he was arrested on charges that his teachings and activities threatened the imperial authority of the Tsar. And he was, in fact, imprisoned in an island fortress in the Neva River in Petersburg. And during his interrogations, he was compelled to present to the Tsar's ministers the basic tenets of Judaism and explain various points of Hasidic philosophy and practice. Uh, but after 53 days, he was exonerated of all his charges and he was in fact released. And that was Yotet Kislev. He was re released on the 19th day of Kislev. Now, Rabbi Shneer Zaman, the Alter Rebbe, saw these events as a reflection, merely, of what was happening up above. And he regarded his arrest as an earthly echo of a heavenly indictment against his revelation and the most intimate secrets of the Torah. He saw his release as signifying his vindication uh, before a heavenly court rather than just in front of the uh, Tsarist ministers. And so following his liberation on the 19th of Kislev, he redoubled his efforts. He became much more involved in disseminating his teachings on a much broader scale. 
um, with his very, very down-to-earth and detailed explanations much more than ever before. So, the 19th of Kislev really marks the birth of Hasidism, the point at which it was allowed to emerge from what was known as the womb of mysticism into the light of day to grow and develop as an integral part of Torah and Jewish life. And so for Hasidim, Chabad Hasidim in particular, Yutet Kislev is a day that is marked as a celebratory day, a day of liberation and a day on which um, kind of the hidden parts of Torah got out of jail together with the Alter Rebbe. Great day of celebration known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus. And it happens on this coming Shabbos. Back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Man cannot live without water. A Jew cannot live without Torah. Our Torah equates water with Torah. Torah and water are equated. In fact, this is the reason why we read the Torah um, so often, because we don't want there ever to be a gap of three days on which the Torah is not read. So, this coming Shabbat, we celebrate water, even though it is just after Shabbat, um, and we celebrate Torah. We celebrate the inner dimension of Torah. We celebrate the soul of Torah the spiritual elements of Torah, the mysticism and the messages from Torah on a soul level of what your soul can do, what your soul actually means, where it really wants to go, where it wishes to be, and what it wants to accomplish. And in fact, in this equation of water and Torah, we know that the same way as water will always find a way to make its way through no matter where you place it, and it will seep down and it can cause things to grow and to flourish. So too does Torah. And particularly the inner dimensions of Torah, the mystical parts, the Hasidus, the Tanya and all of what it teaches um, and everything that's encapsulated in Hasidic mystical philosophy that uh, talks to our souls and teaches us exactly where we are meant to take them and where they're meant to go. All of that in a way culminates on this very, very important weekend, this coming weekend of the 19th of Kislev, Yud Tet Kislev, as well as the day on which we change over and start imploring God to send rain. So we're actually thinking about rain and light. The rain and the light need to come together. You know, um, cynically, people would always talk about when there was a, a thunder shower in, and, and the sun shone, that it was called, for whatever reason, a monkey's wedding, uh, Lahavdil. But when we talk about this coming weekend, we're talking about rain and we're talking about light. We're talking about the rain in the light. We're talking about the light that um, Torah can bring, the rain, the sustenance, it's all a magical, incredible, powerful, miraculous weekend. So we look forward to a great Shabbat up ahead. And I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead. I want to wish you a good Yom Tov for you, Ted Kislev. Remember to save a Tank Talumatar starting on Saturday night. And remember that life is important. And the maintenance of life is important. And be careful wherever you go or you're going away on holiday and so on. Be careful 
in how you behave from a COVID pandemic point of view. Remember that life is important. You have to not only be preserving your own, but you have to be thinking about the life of others as well, because that ultimately is the deepest lesson that we can learn from our Torah, that we need to look after ourselves, we need to look after God's world, and we need to care for our fellow men. Please, God, very, very soon, pandemics will be over, and we'll be able to see the light and the water, the rain, the showers of Torah of Kedusha, Please, God, very soon with the coming of Mashiach. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead, a good Yom Tov for Shabbos as well. And I look forward to being back with you again next week when we'll talk a little bit about Hanukkah. Take care and have a great one.